All right, John 16. Um, we are talking this evening about a choice that Jesus presents us with. Um, so Thanksgiving a couple of years ago, we had all of my family on my side together in my parents' house in San Jose, California, where I was born and raised, where I grew up. And uh, we're, we're watching the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, and I got the, the TV on, and there's this ad that comes on for this random game show. And my brother, my little brother, who was born and raised in Northern California along with me, but moved to Los Angeles for college and has lived there ever since, says, hey, Chelsea, that's his wife, this is that game show we're going to be on. And we're like, what? He said, yeah, yeah, it's this thing. It was this game show called Game of Games. And we were all, oh, wow. And, and sure enough, on the ad, they showed my sister-in-law, like a brief, like just a quick uh, clip of, of her, like, playing the game and then, you know, jump into another part of the show. And, and, and as they've been in L.A., my brother and sister-in-law have been on, like, a bunch of the game shows you've heard of. Like, my sister-in-law won a car on The Price is Right. Um, they were on this thing, Game of Games, which I think was a part of the Ellen show and then became its own thing. And uh, they won a bunch of stuff. They won, like, mountain bikes and, like, a, like a couple of vacations. And, like, they, they won each a Nintendo Switch and then gave one to our kids and then one to my sister's kids because uh, they didn't have any kids at the time. And then one time, uh, my brother was on Let's Make a Deal. Let's Make a Deal. Um, and I don't know if you've seen this, the old version or the new version, but um, he uh, he got dressed up, and he was dressed up like a like a spider, and uh, he got on stage there with Wayne Brady, and uh, and he played the game. And I don't know if you've ever seen Let's Make a Deal, but uh, basically the premise is that there are a number of doors, and you have to choose what you know. What door number one you know may have nothing, or it may have a new car. Or door number two may have a vacation package, or it may have, you know, something less valuable than door number three. And the mystery is you don't know what's going to be behind which, what's going to be behind which door because generally there's like one big thing that's the one you want to get. You know, the new car is usually the big one. Um, Jesus, I, I just, this is a little irreverent, um, but if you'll just, just bear with me for a second. Um, I want you to imagine... Jesus as a Christian game show host. Okay, just for a second, all right? I promise we will not blaspheme, but just for a second. I want you to imagine Jesus, and he's up there, and he's offering you two doors. But instead of the mystery of which door is which, he tells you exactly which one is which. Here's door number one. Door number one is here, and it is your current Christian experience. This is the, the life, if you are a Christian, the life you're living in Christ by the Spirit. Right here, door number one. Door number two, right here. And he tells you, behind door number two is a time machine. And the time machine can be used for one purpose only. It would take you back to any point in the earthly ministry of Jesus and let you be there with Jesus in person. And he says, okay, which 
door are you going to choose? And I don't know about you, but I know which door I'm choosing. I think all of us would choose door number two. Would anyone choose door number two? I would choose door number two. Now, you know that's going to be the wrong answer, and I'm setting you up for something. But that is our initial response, of course. Like, we've watched The Chosen. We know, like, oh, man, how awesome would it have been to have been there and to see him and to see him do these miracles and to see him show this compassion and this power. Oh, if I could only have been there and seen it, I would absolutely choose to be with Jesus in his earthly ministry. All of us would choose door number two. All of us, except for those of us who've read the verse we're going to be looking at tonight. And that is John 16, 7. John 16, 7 says, Nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. It's for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. Jesus is saying, you know, if you, if, it's like on the game show, if there was a door with nothing and there was a door with a new Tesla Model 3 performance, and what fool would choose door number one? Nobody. And Jesus is saying, what fool would choose my physical presence over the presence of the Spirit? It seems it, it, it is so shocking to us, but this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying the wise decision would be the presence of the Spirit over the physical presence of Jesus. The outgoing president of our network of churches, a pastor in North Carolina named J.D. Greer, wrote a little book called Jesus Continued, and the subtitle basically is my thesis for the for my what I'm thinking Jesus is saying in this sermon in this passage and what I want to say in this sermon and that is the spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you the spirit inside of you is better than Jesus beside you and we can say that because that's what Jesus says he says it's to your benefit that I go away he says, there is a great prize. There's the great prize that I'm going to give you. And that is the presence of the Spirit. Look what he says here. Nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away. Now, he says, nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. That you know, Jesus always tells the truth. But when he tells us he's telling the truth, he wants us to know that what he's about to say is especially important. It's not that what he says at other points are, is not the truth. It's that he wants us to pay special attention because we might find what he's about to say especially difficult to believe. Nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. He wants to prepare you. This is going to be difficult for you to believe. And it's this, it's better for you. It's a benefit to you. It's a blessing to you that I go away. He's preparing them in this context for his departure. He, he's, he's wanting to prepare them, to protect them, to empower them. 
as he is going to go to the cross, he's going to be buried, raised from the dead, and 40 days later ascend to the right hand of the Father. He wants to prepare them for what's about to happen. And they're, they're, they're heartbroken and they're sad. Jesus is telling them that, that he's going to be leaving them. And he says, no, 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 no. It's to your benefit. It's to your benefit that I go away. It's sort of like if you've seen uh, the first Star Wars um, where Obi-Wan Kenobi's fighting Darth Vader. And, um, and uh, you know, they got the lightsabers. You know, and, and Darth Vader's fighting can't use this as a lightsaber and as a microphone, so you just have to. And he says, if you strike me down, Darth, I will become more powerful than you can possibly imagine, right? And then he strikes him down, and Luke is like, no, right? This kind of, this like, that's a Christian allegory. Jesus is like, if I die and rise from the dead and ascend to heaven, I will become more powerful than you had even experienced, even in the midst of the, the amazing things I've done on this earth, because my spirit will be present in my people in a way that you're not going to be able to believe. The prize of Jesus' departure is that the spirit will come to the disciples. The problem, the second thing we see in this verse is the problem is that he says, if I don't go away... The counselor will not come to you. Now, this doesn't mean this doesn't mean that Jesus is unable to send the Spirit if he hadn't departed. It doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't have the power to bestow the Spirit. What, what he's saying is, is that there is a mission and a purpose that God has in the world that he is going to accomplish, and then he will send the Spirit. He's saying, if I don't go away, what does that mean? If I don't go to the cross to die for sin, if I don't go to the grave and be buried and descend to the dead, if I don't rise on the third day over Satan's sin and death, and if I don't ascend to the Father's right hand after 40 days, I will not send the Spirit because the Spirit comes as a result of the work of Jesus for us in the gospel. In the cross and resurrection of Jesus, the world changes and the Spirit is sent from the Father and the Son. Third thing we see in this verse is the person. The person. We look there again. He calls him the counselor. Uh, but we talked about, we've talked about this all throughout John 14, 15, and 16. He talks about the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, and he uses this word counselor. Um, but, but some translations, and maybe if you have a different version, we're using the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. Um, on the way to church, my kids are like, why do we use the CSB? And I don't know, I like it. And I'm the pastor, so that's why. Uh, no, I think it's accurate. I think it's easy to read. I think it's a great translation. Um, doesn't mean it's the best one or the only one, but, but it's the one I really think is great to use. Other translations take this as um, advocate or helper or comforter or consoler. 
And, and the reason there's so many different ways that different versions translate it is because there's no one word in our language, English, that conveys the word here in the original language, which was Greek. And that was the word paraclete or parakletos. And, and the word paraclete, the word parakletos, speaks of someone who is at the same time a comforter, a counselor, not in the sense of like sitting on the couch getting therapy counselor. There's nothing wrong with that, but I'm talking more of counselor in the attorney sense of counselor. A comforter, a helper, an advocate. It, a paraclete, Jesus is called a paraclete in 1 John 2, 1. A paraclete is a person who is with you when you need them most. There's someone who is with you when you need them most, and they know exactly what to do. The paraclete, the person that Jesus is going to send, is going to be one who comforts, who helps, who intercedes, who empowers, who brings to the church and the, the disciples in the church what they need most when they need it most. Finally, he says and explains here the purpose. The purpose. It says, if, if I go, I will send him to you. The, the father sends the son to become a human being, to live a sinless life, to die a sinner's death, to be buried, to be raised from the dead, so that if you will turn from your sin and trust in him, he will forgive your sin and he will give you eternal life. And as the son ascends into heaven, he sends the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, into the hearts of those who have followed him. And the purpose is so that the glory of God would be revealed. Because when the father sends the son and the father and the son send the spirit, it reveals who God truly is. It reveals that God is not just God in some sort of generic sense. He is a God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is a God who is personal, a God who is life and love in himself and of himself. Dane Ortland said last, so... Um, we're doing, uh, and if you didn't get your copy last week, go ahead. And we have a few more out in the foyer. We're uh, reading Derwin Gray's book, uh, Building a Multi-Ethnic Church. And uh, we're going to uh, try to have some discussion times, and we're going to uh, talk about it on Thursday mornings for, at the men's Bible study and try to have some other opportunities. Last year, we did uh, Dane Ortland's book, uh, Gentle and Lowly, which is one of the best books I've ever read on the heart of Christ. And um, in that book, he says that the Spirit is the answer to how Jesus can leave bodily while leaving his heart behind. When Jesus sends the Spirit, he sends his heart to us. He gives us his deepest love, his most powerful life. He gives us all that he is. Not as an external companion, 
but as one who is an internal source of comfort and provision. Um, so Tony Stark, Iron Man, his superpower is not having cool technology. You know, he's got his iron suit and he flies and he can shoot, you know, rockets out of, you know, stuff. And his superpower is his brilliance to be able to design that external armor and weaponry. The superpower of the Christian is not the... Ex Sometimes we get really geeked out about the idea of the armor of God. And don't get me wrong, like praise God for the armor of God, the breastplate of righteousness, you know, the, the, and all these things. But the, the superpower of the Christian is not the external things that God does for us, but the fact that the power of the living God is inside of us, that the Spirit of God lives within us. We have the superpower of the Most High God dwelling inside of us. And this means we will never be alone again. That we will never be weak again. We're weak in ourselves, but we are strong in Him. We are never in any sort of danger that can threaten us in an eternal existential way. We can be in physical danger, but we cannot be in spiritual danger. It means that our lives will never be aimless or meaningless. We have the spirit of the power, the presence, and the purpose of the living God inside of us. And you know what? Jesus is right. That's a lot better than having Jesus right here with you. Now, don't get me wrong. I would love to have been there. And I would love to have a time machine to go back there. And you know what? One day we're going to see Jesus in person. We're not going to have a disembodied, you know, spirit existence like floating in the clouds. We are going to be resurrected to a new heaven, a new earth. And one day I'm going to see Jesus and I'm going to fist bump him and I'm going to hug him and I'm going to say thank you. But in the interim, it is better to have the spirit inside of us than Jesus beside us. Now, here's the last thing we need to talk about. It's another problem. And the other problem is this, that none of us believe this. We all would choose door number two. And the reason we would choose door number two is, is twofold. There's, there's two sides of this coin. The first has to do with experience, and the second has to do with awareness. First, our experience of the power of the Holy Spirit is so anemic that of course we would choose the physical presence of Jesus because our experience of the power of the Spirit of the living God is so impoverished, is so small that it's like it doesn't exist at all. We, I, I, I'm, I'm rebuked when I read Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3 is the letter where Paul is at his most prophetically outraged. He, he, he's angry with the church because they have abandoned the gospel of grace. You know, he wasn't as mad at Corinth when, like, people were all sleeping around and doing all sorts of crazy stuff. He was upset, but he wasn't nearly as upset as when a church abandoned the gospel. 
and abandoned justification by faith, that we're saved by grace through faith on the basis of Christ apart from works. That really made Paul mad. And when he asks the Galatians in Galatians 3, he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? So, so what he's doing there is he is arguing for a correct doctrine of salvation based on the church's spiritual possession. In other words, he's saying the Spirit's presence was so powerful among you that, that it came through this word of this gospel. How can any other gospel be true? And when I hear that, I'm rebuked because I'm like, my experience of the Spirit isn't much like that. And neither is yours, most likely, which is why we all would choose door number two. When Jesus would choose door number one. I'm still, I'm still back on that one, and we just got one more thing on that one. Second reason. The second reason we don't believe what Jesus says is not because of our experience, it's because of our lack of awareness. Here's what I mean. The most miraculous thing the Holy Spirit can do. Uh, can we go back to the another problem slide? Pretend like you didn't see that. It's not that exciting, but it'll be good. The most miraculous thing the Holy Spirit could ever do is not raise someone from the dead physically, not heal someone physically, not some outpouring of some manifestation of power in an overt way. The most miraculous thing the Holy Spirit could ever do is make a sinner who hates God believe in the gospel. And so every one of us, no matter what I just said about our lack of experience with the Spirit, every one of us who trusts in Jesus is a walking testimony of the supernatural power of the Spirit of God. And if that's all he ever gave us or all he ever gives us, that will be enough. We don't recognize the miracle. We don't recognize the miracle of the Spirit of the living God turning someone's heart from spiritual death to spiritual life. And you know what? It is a miracle. Because to me, it is, it's obvious that this is the best news you could ever hear and the best decision anyone could ever make to turn to Jesus and follow him with all of their heart to seek forgiveness. But you know what? Nobody seems that interested sometimes because their heart is spiritually dead. And when someone shows interest, it's because the Spirit has done a miracle. So our problem is our experience of the Spirit, but also our awareness of what the Spirit is doing in our midst already. Okay, so what now? What now? The first thing I want to encourage you to do is to seek the Spirit. Seek the Spirit. Um, what do I mean by that? I mean, put yourself in a place where you can be obedient to Ephesians 5.18. Ephesians 5.18 says, be filled with the Spirit. It's a command. 
How are you filled with the Spirit? Well, it gives you context in Ephesians 5. It says, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanksgiving. Seek the Spirit through the Word of God in the community of God. Pray for the Spirit to fill you. Hear the gospel and believe it. Open your lungs. Embrace the miracle. Ask God to help you see the power of the Spirit. So I've seen, I've seen God do crazy, amazing things. But most of life is the mundane, daily stuff that seems normal, but is the daily miracle of God working in us and through us by His Spirit. Um, when I was a kid, my dad uh, had this sleeping condition. and We, we would go on these um, short-term mission trips with our church. And, um, and we, we, would st- we would stay in Tecate, Mexico. We were in California, and we'd drive down, and we would go into the slums of Tijuana, and we would build houses. And, uh, you know, we, everyone was camped out. We'd have sleeping bags, and they had bunk beds. It was this big compound kind of house, mission house, and we would go. And uh, he was in a room. I was out with my friends uh, in another area. He was in a room with three other guys. And my dad snored. So loud that by the end of the second night, he had a suite to himself. Because he, no joke, sounded like a dying freight train. And it sounded like this. And they diagnosed him. He had something some of you may have or have heard of. It's called sleep apnea, where he would stop breathing throughout the night. Some, whatever was going on with him, he couldn't, couldn't get enough air into his lungs. And, and they, they did a sleep test, and he stopped breathing for over 60 seconds at a time. He's like, no wonder you're tired. You're not breathing at night. And so they got him this device. Some of you may have one or have heard of one or know someone who has one called a CPAP machine. A CPAP is a continuous positive airway pressure. That it, it's this mask you put on, and you sound like Darth Vader, and it just blows air into your face all night long. Uh, the American Sleep Apnea Association estimates that 22 million of us suffer from some form of sleep apnea, and it's a potentially serious disorder. We repeatedly stop breathing as we sleep, and the long-term effects of sleep apnea. Uh, never look up stuff on the internet health-wise. It just freaks you out, right? High pre- blood pressure, stroke, heart attack, and dementia. Um, CPAP machines are the most widely used device for treating moderate and severe sleep apnea. Through a mask and tube, the CPAP machine pumps a continuous stream of oxygenated air, allowing you to breathe continuously while you sleep. Here's, here's, here's the deal, guys. God wants to put a spiritual CPAP machine on your heart, and he wants to blow the spirit into your life. He wants to refresh you and fill you again with his spirit, by his spirit, because the spirit inside of you is better than Jesus beside you. Let's all choose door number one. Let's pray.
Father, in Jesus' name, by your spirit, we ask uh, you would help us, Holy Spirit, that you would fill us, that you um, would fill us with Christ, with his truth and his glory, that we would breathe in. Jesus, at the end of John, breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Lord, we receive your spirit. We know we receive your spirit when we are saved, but we also know you command us to be filled with your spirit after we're saved, and so we ask you to fill us yet again. In Jesus' name, amen.